This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. In a state with high housing prices and rampant homelessness, California last week made a move to make it easier to build housing. Cato's Mike Tanner, head of our project on poverty and inequality in California, says it's a great first step toward giving California some relief against the entirely man-made constraints on housing construction. California is well known for its housing problems. Just the rate of homelessness alone should tell us something about the trouble of acquiring and keeping housing for uh, many Californians. What have they done here with these two pieces of legislation? Well, these are important. They'll do less than I think that are advertised, but they're really important in that they're kind of a breakthrough in the housing struggle in California. The most important one is SB 9, uh, which was just signed. And that would basically eliminate statutory single-family zoning anywhere in the state. It would require that you can build duplexes on any parcel of property in the state uh, even those that were previously single, uh, zoned only for single family. It would also allow if the plot of land is large enough to splitting the land. So theoretically, you could have up to four units where you only had one that was allowed before. Okay, so uh, that is a potential for a massive expansion of housing in, in California. Uh, houses could be split into multiple units. Uh, lots could be uh, built up in a way that allows uh, multiple units as well. What are the uh, all also continuing to exist regulatory uh, structures that might stymie those efforts? Yeah, we may see a lot fewer units built than we uh, than anticipated because there's still a host of other regulations in the way. For example, there's still minimum lot sizes per unit that are that are listed. You still have to have a certain setback from the streets. Uh, you still have to deal with the California's CEQA, uh, the California Environmental Quality Act, which can limit the type of buildings that are built on, on lots. If a locality doesn't want these multifamily units built or these duplexes built, there's still a lot of tools in their toolbox that they can use to delay or block these or drive up the cost of these, at least to prevent low-cost units from being built in these areas. We've already seen this with legislation that passed a couple of years ago to allow accessory dwelling units or ADUs to be built, kind of like grandma units above the garage. And what we saw was that relatively few of them were actually built because there was just too many hoops to jump through to do it. But the upside here for Californians that own property and want to uh, turn that into more units than they they currently have, uh, they can begin making those applications and they can inform both their localities and as importantly state lawmakers that there is demand for this housing out there. Yeah, this is important. The market will begin to send signals that uh, people really do want multifamily housing. Uh, even in their neighborhood, we will see that uh, happen. Uh, and it's a big blow to the the power of the NIMBYs and the homeowners lobbies that they couldn't beat this. This actually passed by a fairly large margin uh, and it surprised housing advocates. I was actually in California a couple of days before it passed uh, meeting with uh, pro-housing groups and they had all predicted it was going to fail. The, the fact that it passed and passed by a wide margin took everyone by surprise. So we see the market signals that are likely to emerge uh, from 
uh, homeowners, property owners that would like to do this kind of expansion from developers that would like to to build these kinds of properties. Obviously, these things don't occur overnight. It takes time to build housing. Uh, but what what would what do you expect to see in the next few months to a year? Well, I expect to see in some areas we're going to start seeing duplexes being built, probably not houses converted into duplexes so much as in areas where there's new construction going on. We may see duplexes built rather than single family units. Uh, there needs to be more multifamily housing. Uh, and in this, the second bill, SB 10, uh, has loosened up some of the statewide restrictions and made it easier for communities that want to build multifamily infill housing to be able to construct small multifamily housing units. It's still not possible in California to build large multifamily units in most areas of the state, and that's something that needs to change. They still need to change other regulatory restrictions, but now there's some momentum behind this. Uh, It's been proven that the pro-housing forces are a match for the homeowners' lobbies and the suburban lobbies and can can actually take them on, and I think that's going to change the political dynamics in the state. Quite a bit. Now, uh, California obviously is is an extreme example of uh, what happens when you restrict the construction of housing. California is a lovely place, and lots of people want to live there. And yet, you're seeing, uh, if not an exodus, a large departure of people who owned homes there or uh, just simply can't afford to to live there anymore. Um, but are we likely to see this kind of problem emerge in less populous, less dense states? Well, we're already seeing it in other populous and dense states going on. For example, in New York, during the recent hurricane, a number of people drowned in basement apartments that were illegal apartments and had been converted uh, without inspections and without things like that, largely because New York also makes it very difficult to build in Philip housing or multifamily housing units. Too much of it is is also zoned uh, single family. Uh, We're seeing housing costs rise in cities across the country, Philadelphia, Chicago, Phoenix, places like that, all deal with these, uh, these housing issues. Until people are free to build more housing to meet the demand, we're going to see rising housing costs, and that's going to hurt people, particularly at the low end of the income scale. You said that the the YIMBYs that you uh, spoke with expected this to fail. Uh, what was the partisan breakdown here? Well, more Democrats than Republicans uh, supported this, but it actually was a bipartisan vote with about half of Republicans uh, supporting uh, the legislation, which is a big change. Uh, Republicans had been uh, uniformly opposed to some of the housing legislation, like SB 50, that had been tried before. Uh, so uh, r- real hat tip to people like uh, Senator Scott Weiner, who uh, managed to build a broad coalition uh, from the left to the right on, in support of this bill. Uh, we've met with him, of course, and uh, you know he's he's a real housing advocate on these. So, in other states where we have not yet seen these problems, a lot of identical or near identical regulation is on the books. So, in areas where we might see rapid growth down the road, and uh, people who live in neighborhoods that they like just fine, thank you very much, uh, we might see pushback of similar efforts to allow. Uh, density to allow uh, greater development, height development in other states and localities. Yeah, we're going to see this battle go on uh, across the country. We're already seeing YIMBY groups uh, 
uh, be formed in other, other places besides California, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., for example, have new YIMBY uh, organizations. And of course, we're still going to see strong pushback from people who don't want low-income housing in their, uh, their suburban development. So I guess what is the Republican argument here? Uh, you know, absent an HOA, it seems to me that Americans should be able to do largely whatever they want, so long as they're not imposing some direct tangible cost on their neighbors, uh, whatever they want with their property. Well, I think the argument is essentially that housing has become an investment as much as it is someplace to live. And, and the, the worry is that if you allow in low-income housing uh, or people who are, who are not like you, it drives down housing values. This is something we saw back in the 60s in the civil rights era, and we're seeing sort of a new model of that now uh, with the Save the Suburbs uh, sloganeering. Not long ago, uh, Scott Bayo, uh, otherwise known as Bob Loblaw or Chachi uh, from uh, television, you uh, suggested in in endorsing the recall of Governor Newsom, uh, said, hey, do you want low income, affordable housing stacked on top of it, top of itself in your neighborhoods? And uh, of course, he gets lit up on social media for having said that. But uh, that seems to embody a lot of the resistance to making housing easier to build. Yeah, and we should note that Robert Reich out in Berkeley uh, protested the building of low-income housing in his particular neighborhood. Uh, he joined the uh, the NIMBY forces. And we should also, of course, note that uh, Gavin Newsom didn't sign this legislation until after the recall. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there may be, uh, the politics of this may be interesting. Uh, it's sort of left and right supporting more housing and left and right opposing more housing. Mike Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Housing will be one of the big topics at Cato's upcoming conference on a new agenda for fighting poverty and inequality in California. That's October 21st in Sacramento. You can learn more about it at Cato.org. <laughs> 